Okay, thank you for being here this morning and those that have joined us online and through our live feed. We appreciate you joining us and please try to come and be with us sometime when you have the opportunity. We're thankful to have this resource though, the ability to live stream our services for those who are physically unable to come. Now, I would say if you are physically unable to come, then uh, uh, this is for you. The live feed is for you. If you're physically able to come, then you ought to be here. Right? Amen. The, uh, the <laughs> gathering of God's people is necessary. It's not a, uh, an option, actually. Some people, or most people, I think, feel like that it's an option and that church is not that important. Uh, but uh, actually, the, the very word that's translated church in our Bibles, the word ekklesia, means, now get this, a called out assembly. Mm -hmm. It's an assembly. You're not part of the church if you're not part of the assembly. Okay, well, I'm not going to go on, go, go on any more about that, but think about it. All right, let's open our copy of God's Word to Mark chapter number 14. Mark chapter number 14, as we've already read, let me start... Uh, uh, Again, this morning, and I'll read verses 43 through 51, and uh, we're going to uh, we're going to talk more about this this uh, this biblical truth that our warfare is a spiritual warfare, and things are not as they sing. And uh, uh, those who are strong in this world may turn out to be the ones who are on the losing side. And those who appear to be the weakest, the righteous, who are seeking to uh, live a godly life and encourage others to live a godly life. It seems like that the cards are stacked against them, doesn't it? But uh, we're going to see this morning that uh, in, in Christ, in the work of God through Christ, the victory came to the weak. So let's read again from the scripture, verses 43 and following. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away safely. And 
As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him, up to Jesus, and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. Now this was not a calm, friendly action. This is a violent action. And one of those who stood by drew his sword. Well, John tells us this was Peter. He struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown about his naked body. And many people uh, believe that this was Mark, uh, Mark's own testimony of himself. And the young, man laid young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And uh, so let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us and speak through me. I confess I am utterly helpless unless you anoint and enable me to speak. There will be nothing clear, nothing helpful, nothing life-giving in the message unless you do it. And you do it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So... This, uh, as I said, I'm going to be uh, talking some about a, a very paradoxical uh, doctrine or teaching, and that is that uh, uh, what looks like strength to us uh, as we judge things from a worldly perspective is often weakness. There are those who are who are strong, but they're actually weak. And there are those who are weak, but they are actually strong. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said uh, uh, that he had been uh, afflicted with a uh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, lest he uh, become exalted above measure. And he said, for this thing, I besought the Lord thrice, three times. I have to quote King James because that's all I've got memorized. But I besought the Lord thrice that he might take it from me. But uh, he said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul said, therefore, most gladly will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We're going to see the power of Christ this morning, but we're going to see it through absolute and total weakness. 
And as we go through the sermon, you will see it just uh, just uh, uh, step by step getting lower and lower and, uh, and Christ becoming more and more vulnerable until he's finally nailed to a cross. And so let's just uh, think about this this morning. As a matter of fact, uh, what's going on here with all these uh, military people and all these uh, soldiers and and uh, chief priests and and people from the chief priests and the scribes and the uh, and the Pharisees with their swords and their clubs taking uh, uh, opportunity to go at night in the dark and seize Jesus. They think this is a real show of force. This is a real show of power. But what they don't realize is they're falling into a trap. They're falling into a trap. What is the trap? What's God doing to them? Well, let me read it to you. I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to read this to you in Colossians chapter 2. Listen, let me start in verse number 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, Jesus, has made alive together with him, having forgiven you, forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. Now listen, verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers. Mm -hmm. Now that's the language that Paul always uses to talk about the devil in his kingdom, right? Principalities and powers. He said, he made a public spectacle of them, mm -hmm. triumphing over them in it. <clears throat> so they've they are just falling hook line and sinker for it and they are showing their might and their power and they're showing their hatred for Christ and it that just uh, uh, works out to be their hatred for God their hatred for Jehovah and so we have come to this place in the scripture where they're going to use every ounce of political and religious uh, strength that they have to come against Christ. And so uh, uh, when you think about uh, their strength that they have, here's what Luke said in Luke chapter 22 and verse Number three, 53, he said, now, or this is, he's quoting Jesus. Jesus said this. He said, now is your hour. Now is the power of darkness. You know why Jesus is going through all this humiliation and all of this abandonment and all of this being taken forcefully and then being beaten and all these things. Do you know why that is? Because he has purposely orchestrated 
everything up to this point. He has kept himself from being taken before it was time. Every time they tried to take him, his hour had not come. He was able to avoid it, but now he gives himself over to it. They're not taking him. He's giving himself. He's giving himself. And they think it's our force. It's our strength. It's our power. And so they come against Jesus with every possible form of worldly power. Because they had uh, religious authority. <coughs> they didn't just have religious authority, but they used political authority. They used the power of numbers. There were more on their side than there were on Jesus' side. There were multitudes at times that were following Jesus, weren't there? There were many times that there were multitudes, but they were a mixed multitude because uh, a lot of the time, what they uh, there was uh, there were people who were sincerely following him, but then there were those who were following him just to see what they could get from him, to see the miracles and uh, uh, to uh, to get the bread when he offered bread and when he fed the thousands. They wanted to be around for that, but they were not sincere followers of Christ. And so he would always, if you'll notice this in the New Testament, in the uh, four Gospels, almost every time the scripture says that a great multitude followed him, he would either take them to a, up on a mountain, and you had to really want to hear what he's going to say if you're going to climb a mountain, right? Or... He would test them with doctrine. Read John chapter 6 sometime. And it would have that uh, effect of dispersing so many of the multitudes. They would not stay with him. And when it comes down to it, it seems like on the day of Pentecost, there was like 120 people. After all this multitude of people that had followed him all this time. Isn't that amazing? And so they had the power of numbers. They uh, had uh, not only the power of numbers, they had the ability to sway public opinion. The power of numbers will do that for you. They had the ability to set the rules. These were, these were religious leaders. And, and, and you see, they got to interpret the law. They got to say what was a Sabbath day's journey and what wasn't. You know? So they could take a board and walk out a Sabbath day's journey and lay it down on the ground and say, this is the edge of my property. And so I can begin right here and go a Sabbath, a Sabbath day's journey. But they also had the, uh, prop, the uh, uh, ability to cause everyone else to have to obey the rules. 
just like they're written. You know, you, you ever see anything like that going on in our country? <laughs> the leaders can, uh, they can define the rules and whoever gets to define the rules gets to uh, run the thing. Whoever gets to define the terms, they have the power to define the legal terms. They had the power of finances. They had money. They had military power. They had weapons. They had power to condemn a man and it couldn't be questioned. And they had the power to execute. <clears throat> now, the, the Jewish leaders didn't have the power to execute under Rome, but they could manipulate the system like they did with Jesus and have him put on a cross so they could enjoy the Passover. They had the power to execute. They had the power to frighten. They had the power to intimidate. They had, uh, they had even uh, the power to exercise unbridled hypocrisy. And they did that. They did that. So, we might say, as I said earlier, that the cards are stacked against Jesus. He stands, it seems, totally defenseless and weak before the rage and murderous intent of a fallen and crazed world. They hate him. All he's ever done was love them. All he's ever done is serve them and teach them. And plead for them to come to him. And yet, yet they hate him. And so, although this looks like things are bad for Jesus, at least he still had this. He still had his confidence that, uh, and his determination to complete his mission. He had come into the world on a mission. And we talked about this last Sunday night, did we not? That Jesus came with a guarantee from the Father. He lived by faith. He came with a guarantee from the Father that if he would go and sacrifice himself for the sheep that the Father had given him before the foundation of the world, that Father would not let suffer his Holy One to see corruption. He wouldn't cause him or allow him to lie forever in the grave. He would not allow his body to decay, but he would raise him from the dead. And so Jesus had that determination that he was going to complete that mission. And so he still has that confidence. He still has that determination and so that gives him at least some strength, even though everybody else seems to be against him. He still has that strength of the power of his mission. He came to save the chosen ones of God. He knew them and he loved them. He came 
out of a heart of love and obedience to his father. And he also knew that there was a heavy price to be paid. So he came knowing that he was going to suffer and die for his people. He was determined. He had committed himself to redeem his people because it was his father's will. Again, I say he's determined to do it. But then comes Gethsemane. What an suffering. What an anguish of soul that Jesus experienced in Gethsemane. And again, we talked about this last Sunday evening. And, and, and the agony that was going on there. The uh, begging for God to uh, remove this cup from him. If it was possible. All of that. You say, what was going on? What about, I thought he was God incarnate. He is. He's 100% God, but he's 100% man at the same time. And this has something that has to do with his humanity. It's his humanity. This is, this is an innocent man who is facing the wrath and judgment of Almighty God. And that's what that cup represents. Go back and listen to last Sunday night's message. That's what that cup represents. The judgment, the wrath of God against the sins of men. It was a cup that was full. And Jesus had to drink it to the dregs. And what that meant was that he would have to endure sin the or to become sin for us he would have to take our sins upon himself he would have to take the judgment and the fury and the hatred of his heavenly father and he never experienced any of that Jesus doesn't know sin he knows what it is. He's never come near it. The scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin. I don't understand that. I can't explain that. And I can't understand how that this innocent Innocent Savior felt the hatred of the Father. It was against our sin, but he was bearing our sin. How he dreaded that cup. How he cried against that cup. How he dreaded the guilt and his Father's anger. And when he said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I don't know. I don't know if I should even. I don't know how to think about that. But apparently there's some frailty in his flesh as well. Not sin. Not even the thought of disobedience because he's 
saying, not my will, not what I will, but what you will, to the Father. No thought of disobedience. Oh, but there is something there that causes his soul to quake. Luke chapter 22, verse 43, 43 says, Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Luke also tells us that his sweat became as great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Here his humanity and his determination for his mission are tested like no other place. Hebrews chapter 5 gives us a little insight. Verse 7, talking about our great high priest who is after the order of Melchizedek, he said, who in the days of his flesh, you get that, the days of his flesh. He's not just talking about the days when he lived on earth, but this is something to do with the flesh, the human nature of Jesus. When he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now listen, Jesus in his deity didn't have to learn anything, did he? But all that he knew... He knew objectively. Now he's going to experience. He's going to know by experience things that he's never experienced before. He's doing that for us. And so you see that it's just getting weaker and weaker. He's crushed. Gethsemane means the olive press. And that's what he's experiencing. He's crushed. Like the olives would be crushed. Well, but he still has his disciples. That's good, isn't it? He still has the disciples because he has uh, he, he brought them with him to the garden. And three of them, the, the three most intimate followers Peter James and John he brought them further in with him because he desired their company he desired for them to be with him and he asked them to watch with him what he meant was please pray with me Peter had made his boasts if I have to die with you I will not deny you Jesus <coughs> goes a little farther falls on his face prays comes back Peter isn't it amazing he just singles out Peter Peter 
Could you not watch one hour? Arise and pray, lest you fall into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yours is too, beloved. I don't, I don't, don't think ever, don't ever think you've been saved and serving the Lord long enough that you've kind of got it under control. You don't, you don't, and you never will have Amen. until he takes us to be with him. Mm -hmm. They slept. Judas, one of the twelve, betrays him with a kiss, verses 45 through 46. Verse 50, they all forsook him and fled. Verses 66 through 72. Peter denies him. Soon the entire city is going to cry out. Crucify him. So now he stands alone. All alone. It's not that there were no other people around. It's not that... Uh, that there were, was no one else being crucified. But you see, you do know you can be all alone in a crowd of people, don't you? And there is no doubt that our Savior our Savior was all alone mm -hmm. in a crowd of people. Do you see that downward walk, that downward step, the downward spiral, if you will? His case, his situation is becoming more and more hopeless. He seems to be more and more helpless, more and more vulnerable and weak and alone, all alone. All alone in betrayal. They didn't betray the other disciples. No one was out to arrest the others. All alone in abandonment. All alone in denial. All alone in rejection. Of his very person. Listen. You know I was. I was reading the other day. Luke. Tells the story. In, in chapter 22. He. He tells a. Parable. Quotes Jesus. Parable about a. Man who. Went to. Receive a kingdom for himself. And. Gave his. Uh, property over to. Some servants. And. Uh, he gave them. Each. Amina to uh, use in one game 10. You know, it's similar to a, another parable in Matthew, in the book of Matthew, but in uh, one game five minas and one just covered his up with a handkerchief. And, and uh, but when he, but when the man left, here's what Luke says. 
they sent an ambassage after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. You see, there were people among those religious leaders who obviously knew that he was the Messiah. And they felt like that they had the power, the ability, that they could get by with rejecting him. Isn't that amazing? Do you see what blindness sin will, will cause? He's alone when he faces the judgment before the authorities. He's alone to face the mockery, alone in flogging. But he's also alone in redemption. There were others, as I've said, crucified with him, but he was alone was the innocent one. He alone was the pure one. He alone was the Savior. Someone uh, has said, I've heard this several times over the years, that one of those crosses was the cross of rejection. The thief on that cross rejected Jesus. And the one on the other side was the cross of repentance. But the cross in the middle where Jesus hanged was the cross of redemption. He was nailed to that cross. It's kind of as if people said, yeah, he, he came down from God, but we don't want him. He came from heaven, but earth does not want him. And they shoved that cross up with him on it and suspended him between heaven and the earth and said, we don't want. <coughs> how much more helpless can one get condemned beaten nearly to death carrying sorrow enough to kill him he told his disciples in the garden I, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death nearly dead from blood loss so thirsty that his tongue sticks King James says, cleaves to the roof of his mouth. The, uh, the new King James and the ESV says it uh, sticks to his jaws. But he's thirsty. Mm -hmm. Hanging in a position that would uh, have the potential to suffocate him. He's got no place to turn. He's got no human help whatsoever no one on earth that would come to him no one on earth that can help him so he turns to the father but something's wrong the joyful love and Communion somehow wasn't there. Mm. Lift his eyes to heaven. 
And the father had turned from me. This is what he granted. This is what he despised about the cross. There he hangs. Between heaven and earth, men couldn't help and God wouldn't help. It's our suffering redeemer. Humble as low as you can go. Now you see what I'm talking about when I say it looks like they all they had all the all the points in their favor, you know? It looks like they're they're able to do whatever they want. Oh, you'd better be scared to death if God ever lets you have whatever you want. At last, the savage, bloody spectacle is over. He cries, it's finished. He bows his head and he gives up the ghost. And, and now, now he's weak. He's dead. Really dead. I mean, it's, doesn't, it's not a swoon. It's, it, it's the real thing. He's dead. Dead on the cross. That's what earthly power, earthly authority, that's what they've done to him. How could there be any victory in this? It seems like they have won the battle. They took more Steps to ensure that he was, uh, that he he was dead, and he was defeated. They rolled a heavy stone over his tomb, and they set a Roman seal upon it, and they stationed soldiers before it. But that's where you see the contrast between earthly power and God's power. That's where you see the difference between man's muscle and God defeating the powerful through weakness. Because in just three days, sin is banished, death is overcome, and the grave is vacated and defeated. Hallelujah. All that, all that, and much more through Christ all alone. He did it all. Bless his name. Amen. Father, please take these scattered words. Please cause us to rejoice in our Savior. To love him as he deserves to be loved. Mm 
to serve Him as He deserves to be served. Holy Spirit, please work that in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.